I'm Sarah McLaughlin, and this is an Amber Bach Alert. Matt Syop has been missing since last Sunday. He was last seen drinking on the Las Vegas Strip. After Aaron Rodgers' horrific broken collarbone in Sunday's football game, Matt downed his entire drink, smashed the glass over his head, and ran screaming from the bar. He hasn't been seen since. Please look for Matt. If you see Matt, send him home. Don't bring up the Green Bay Packers. And for God's sakes, keep him from breathing over open flames. from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Garbage people. Cinema Psyops. My personal view is that it's nauseating, disgusting, degrading, ghastly, stupid, cruelly and pioristic and generally nauseating. They are unbelievably nauseating. They are the antithesis of I regard them as disgusting, nasty, horrible, without any kind of merit. I just do not believe that any allegedly cultural activity which strikes at the roots of culture is to be applauded. They represent nothing, to my mind, enduring, decent, or worthwhile. I just do not believe that they contribute anything worthwhile to inflict themselves upon society at large. I would like to see somebody dig a very, very large, exceedingly deep hole and drop the whole bloody lot down it. You know, I think uh, the whole world will be vastly improved by their total and utter non-existence. Cinema Psyops with Hort and Matt. Hello and welcome to Cinema PsyOps. Once again, I am not joined in the studio with Matt. For some odd reason, he has disappeared from the mortal sphere. We don't know what happened to him. He said something about going to a house on a haunted hill, but I couldn't tell if he meant the house was haunted or the hill was. Anyway, something about $83,000 to spend one night there, and well, we haven't kind of heard from him since, so let's hope everything's okay. But I actually have two guests this week to help me make it through this ordeal that I am currently having, reviewing the footage of what happened on the house on Haunted Hill. Joining me this week live from the inner Rossiter is Vanessa from the VD Clinic. How are you doing? I'm just dandy. We're going to discuss the house on Haunted Hill and find out what happened to Deer lost hopeless Matt and helping us also examine what's going on with losing Matt from the Psychosemantic podcast also known as the Psychosemantic cast because he can't pick a name is Darren how's it going man I'm doing great man uh thank you uh for definitely noticing that I can't pick a name and thank (laughs) you for one year ago as of today of this recording, not the day that you're listening to this, folks. So you're going to have to go back and listen to the other episode. But one year ago today, I made my debut. Really? On, yes, this was the day that uh, the gate episode dropped, sir. Oh, OK. So we didn't record on this day, but this would be the day one year ago exactly that the gate episode premiered. Yeah. So one year ago last week, we were here wow. talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I wouldn't necessarily have remembered. I knew it was in October, but um, Facebook reminded me as the machines <laughs> remind us all about our lives. You should probably start feeling like something's wrong because Vanessa was a lot sooner and she's been on twice already. So maybe you should I've feel been a little unloved. wondering why you haven't been having me back. Yeah, <laughs> I actually did. And um, until I heard my uh, the promo for my show played on your last episode or the last episode I listened to, um, I was getting ready to write you a sad letter <laughs> and say, hey, still here. Darren, it helps if you have boobs. That's why I've been here twice. <laughs> oh, now. no. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding about that. Matt has boobs, but I'm still trying to get him off the show, Vanessa. <laughs> And I have them too, so (laughs) they don't impress me that much anymore. (laughs) But yeah, long story short, too late. I'm doing well. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You insert your own Monty Python jump there. Very good. All right. So we kind of referenced it a little (laughs) bit earlier because of Matt's strange disappearance, but the house on Haunted Hill, and I tried to do an adjustment for modern day dollars from 10,000, and I think it's around 83,000, like 83,000, maybe like 400 and some change would be how much you would earn to spend the night on a house on Haunted Hill. Again, is the hill haunted or is the house haunted? Which one is it? I mean, by proxy, wouldn't the house become haunted being on a haunted hill? Yeah, but if you remove the house and the hill was haunted. And you know what? Even if you have the house there, it could just be the backyard that's haunted. (laughs) Well, I say the house is haunted. The haunted house on the hill, they couldn't get that on a poster, right? I have a suspicion that it might have something to do with the haunting of Hill House and he just kind of retooled the name a little bit. Actually, yes, because Haunting of Hill House, the Mm. book came out shortly before this movie was made. Would not put it past William Castle at all to use a little bit of notoriety. Even though (laughs) the movie version, The Haunting, came out in 63, which is after this. Yeah, and then there's another version, The Legend of Hell House, which is my personal favorite adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. The Haunting on Hill House, not on Haunted Hill. (laughs) No, 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 that's a a different story. Really? I always thought it was all exactly the same. No, no, no. It's, um, I think, Richard Matheson's short story, novella. I only say that because I was looking at this recently. (laughs) Okay. No, I I will freely admit it. I always confuse them to know things. Yeah, not at all. It's more embarrassing to not know things and pretend like you do like some jackass with a beard sitting here hosting the show. <laughs> not pointing hey, I any shaved fingers. this morning, sir. <laughs> I meant me. <laughs> I would have said jackass with a mohawk if I meant you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did. I always assumed that the legend of Hell House was the same story or the based around the same haunting of the house. But the haunting and House on Haunted Hill are definitely from the same adaptation is what you're saying? The haunting of Hill House and the haunting 63 and that abortion of a remake are definitely the same. Yeah, because I love Shirley Jackson and I did the play in high school. Uh, but now you got me like questioning myself. Shirley Jackson, like Shirley Jackson, the wrote the lottery Shirley Jackson yes, yes she wrote the haunting of Hill House yeah why did I not know that I don't know but it is actually going to be covered at some point on VD clinic there's a good reason why I didn't know that it's because I'm a functional illiterate who can only read code and how-to manuals <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the legend the legend of Hell House is Richard Matheson. I knew that it was it, a Matheson story, but I just assumed they were all Richard Matheson because I don't want to give women credit for anything that scares me. Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly they're all suffering from hysteria. <laughs> oh, Lance! 
Hysteria. <laughs> Just the way she says that. Sorry, we're jumping way ahead. Yeah, yeah no, it's totally fine. This is going to be a free form and loose fun episode anyway, because I, I'm sure everybody and their brother has seen House on Haunted Hill. And if you haven't, it's royalty free. It's in the public domain. There are excellent copies out there on YouTube. There's probably versions of it somewhere that you can get to rent through Amazon Prime for no charge. And at one point in time, it there, was on Netflix. There are at least three versions for free on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and ah. you'll be able to find one of them that's actually a decent yeah, copy. I, I remember it being on Netflix. Yeah. Now, I actually bought the Vincent Price boxed set uh, <laughs> probably about, mm, I don't know, the, this would be collection two, so it would have been right when it came out. And I have all three of those Scream Factory box sets of the Vincent Price movies. I haven't gone through all of them from that set, but I have seen them all <laughs> over time. I used to have the DVDs and everything like that, but that has got to be the best copy of the film that I've ever seen is from that specific Blu-ray from Scream Factory. And unfortunately, I think those went out of print, so now you're going to pay a lot of money for them. But Yeah, they're really expensive now. Yeah, I jumped on them as soon as I knew they were being released. It was just one of those things where I was like, gotta have them. And I think my wife ended up getting me a couple of them for Christmas shortly after they came out, too. So, all right, folks, so let's take a little break here. We're going to play a promo for another podcast, a little bit of music, and when we come back, we're going to have the trailer. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and David as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on iTunes and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VDClinicPod or email them at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. And still, they just might be contagious. Get information or a pamphlet There's a party tonight on Haunted Hill Vincent Price is gonna try to kill His lusty, busty, champagne-swelling spouse Well, you'll be tortured, you'll be taunted Trying to figure out which is haunted Is it the hill or actually the house? Well, the joint is really kinda cool Got hydrochloric acid in the swimming pool The owner is a drunken leprechaun and that's not jerky, that's the maid She gets around on rollerblades And you should see her try to mow the lawn Well, Vincent Price knows all of his sins Grab All right, I'm going to cop to it right now. Yeah, I stole a lot of the jokes that I'm going to be using tonight from that song. <laughs> hey, why not? It's the sure. riff tracks, guys. You got to If you're going to steal from anybody, you might as well steal from some of the best at what they do, right? Right. That's one of the three versions that's available on Amazon is the Rift Tracks. Oh, yeah. I love the Rift Tracks one. I actually got to see a Rift Tracks live version of this, and uh, I bought the DVD of that same Rift Tracks live that uh, I got to witness. 
this. Now, I didn't get to go like, you know, to the actual Belcourt or wherever it was that they're at. It was one of those uh, simulcast things that they did in the local theaters, but it was like two or three Halloweens ago and it was a total blast. Yeah. A little bit of trivia though. The wife hates that. She hates the riff tracks of it because she really likes this movie and she doesn't understand why I enjoy <laughs> people riffing on it. Oh, uh, yeah. You can enjoy both. <laughs> oh man. I, I only, the only uh, live riff tracks I went to was the Plan 9 from Outer Space. I've seen a couple of them and actually one of them that I went to was on uh, my birthday quite a few years ago. They did the Godzilla 98 and that is the first and only time I'll ever watch that film is because of that. (laughs) 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 Fucking terrible. Absolutely terrible. I hate Godzilla 98 with a passion, but having them riff on it made it slightly less painful. But yeah, it took away a little bit of the burn. Yeah, a little bit. If you guys haven't seen the Rift Tracks version of it, uh, particularly if it's the Rift Tracks live version, because they're working with the crowd and the crowd goes crazy, I really recommend that. <laughs> but not nearly as much as I recommend listening to this trailer. I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies, mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. Are you ready, dear? No. Are you ready, dear? Yes, damn you. The ghosts are waiting, so won't you join me in the house on Haunted Hill? Hooray or you'll be late for your own funeral. Okay, so because I'm lazy, I went ahead and decided that the intro of the film being played is the best way to actually talk about the intro of the film. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to sell it any better than Elisha Cook Jr., nor am I going to sell it any better than what Vincent Price can, because let's face it, I don't even think anybody will sell it better than Vincent Price. So, movie opens with our first clip. The ghosts are moving tonight, restless, hungry. May I introduce myself? I'm Watson Pritchard. In just a minute, I'll show you the only really haunted house in the world. Since it was built a century ago, seven people, including my brother, have been murdered in it. Since then, I've owned the house. I've only spent one night there, and when they found me in the morning, I I was almost dead. I'm Frederick Lauren. And I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. If any of you will spend the next 12 hours in this house, I'll give you each $10,000 or your next of kin in case you don't survive. Ah, but here come our other guests. It was my wife's idea to have our guests come in funeral cars. She's so amusing. Her sense of humor is, shall we say, original. I dreamed up the hearse. It's empty now, but after a night in the house on Haunted Hill, who knows? This is Lance Schroeder, a test pilot, so no doubt a brave man. But don't you think you can be much braver if you're paid for it? And I happen to know that Lance needs the 10,000 I'll give him, if he's brave enough to stay all night. This is Ruth Bridges. You've no doubt read her column in the newspapers. She says her reason for coming to the party is to write a feature article on ghosts. She's also desperate for money, gambles. You've already met Watson Pritchard, a man living in mortal fear of a house, and yet he is risking his life to spend another night here. I wonder why. He says for money. 
This is Dr. David Trent, a psychiatrist. He claims that my ghost will help his work on hysteria, but don't you see a little touch of greed there around the mouth and eyes? This is Nora Manning. I picked her from the thousands of people who work for me because she needed the 10,000 more than most. Supports her whole family. Isn't she pretty? The party's starting now, and you have until midnight to find the house on Haunted Hill. I don't think anybody delivers dialogue better than what Vincent Price just did right there. Um, No, he's like a handful of people. Like I include James Earl Jones in that group that there's just always a presence in the way that they speak. You don't even need to see them on camera. Well, especially in James Earl Jones's case, because a lot of the times you don't get to see him for some of his most (laughs) prominent (laughs) voice acting roles, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. But seriously, Vincent Price has such a distinct voice, too. And cadence. Well, absolutely. He pauses a little bit differently. Uh, The only one that comes close to having their own unique cadence that's so specifically instantly recognizable would probably be almost Christopher Walken, but for the exactly wrong reasons that Vincent Price has. <laughs> because with Christopher Walken, his pauses and, and inflections and the things that he says are so out there and so bizarre and so not how people talk, whereas Vincent Price just feels like every man and when you put him in every single role that he's in, he automatically becomes that person and yet at the same time is still just Vincent Price. <laughs> it's yeah. really odd, but it's mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard to describe them there. So during the clip that we were just playing there, we do see the floating head of Elijah Cook Jr. as Watson Pritchard. And I think the main reason why he's mostly crazy is he can't realize which one is actually his last name because he has two last names. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, is, is, is his name Pritchard Watson or Watson Pritchard? Are they saying his last name first like he's in the military or, you know, just wondering. Family I would name. hope Watson is his first name. Yeah, he's yeah. It's probably a family name. Watson is a family Old name? money. Did, yeah, that's why he got it. Yeah, I say Watson's his first name, but it, he he was named it because it's like a family name. Fair enough. So he's probably like Watson Pritchard the third or fourth or fifth. Some bullshit like that. Yeah. Okay. So the expository dialogue we were kind of talking about that sets up the story with Vincent Price, and he introduces himself as Frederick Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> As the guests are arriving, he does kind of go into a spiel about each individual guest and their motivations. I don't know where he's getting all of this information from. Have they specifically told him that they're only coming for this? Or if he has spies watching these people to know that they're telling everybody else that this is the reason that they're going. But in reality, he knows it's this. It's kind of hard to tell. He's a millionaire and he's eccentric. So I wouldn't put it past him to have private detectives following these people before he brings them to the house on Haunted Hill. You would figure he at least had some sort of private detective going on in the case of the Dr. Trent, considering the relationship of Trent and the wife. Spoiler alert. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's only from 1959. (laughs) Get with the program, people. (laughs) And also, you should have watched it by now before you listen to this. But I totally can see that. He obviously had done some legwork or hired someone to do some legwork in that accord. So by extension, it logically makes sense that he would be following the other people because he basically is using these people as a setup for being witnesses for what's about to happen. They're not party guests. They're more or less in a 
elaborate alibi. Absolutely. Yeah. The last time I watched this, I pictured it as uh, the beginning of his court testimony, a uh, sort of, because you know how he's like, I'm ready for justice to decide. And I don't know why, but this last time I pictured him in court. Interesting. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, that fills in a lot of blanks as to why he's doing that description and why he would say the things that he said about the various guests. And I like how he kind of had that thing where he's like, don't you see a bit of greed about the lips and eyes or whatever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being a bit he's greedy for his wife. Yeah. Or, whoops. And his fortune. Well, everybody kind of knows what's going on with this. <laughs> At least they should have watched the film by yeah. now. So it's okay to spoil a little bit. All right. So the guests arrive in a convoy following a hearse, as we heard in the description there. And we do get the little intro and backstory that we were talking about, about each of the characters. They get dropped off at the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's double funny if you think about it. I know. Well, there's nobody there to let them in. That's why I'm saying it's the wrong time. But it must have been the wrong time. But it's certainly <laughs> a right place. I've been in the right place. <laughs> W-R-I-G-H-T. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Architectural <laughs> humor. I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the camera examines the exterior of the Wright House. It's definitely a Frank Lloyd Wright-built place, but I can't remember the name of it because every home that gets to be this extravagant and big gets a special name. But it overlooks L.A., and we get an exterior of the house. I think this one is unique because it's built mostly out of cement. I think they did, like, some kind of poured form concrete or something like that that makes this one particularly special as far as architectural design goes. But the thing that I find the most interesting is the view from the balcony of this place, which is amazing. If you can see it just a little bit over the opening credits, I think Lance is walking out over the balcony area and you can kind of see what looks like an overview of LA from the hills, which is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. While the guests are kind of looking around the exterior and just kind of wandering around and checking out balconies and the barred windows and all of that, we get the opening credits that are rolling over top of this with the sequence. So it kind of plays doubly to show you how the building is 100% secure. There's no way out. It's built kind of like a prison but a mansion at the same time. It's possibly the most comfortable prison you will ever see in your lifetime. (laughs) There's a bar in it. Of course it is. Well, there you go. And significantly less anal rape from what I hear, too. So there's that. I don't know what's going on with that skeleton. I mean... (laughs) It's always looking to bone something. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) All right. So they still don't find a way in. And then they all just kind of gather in a semicircle. Looks like they're about to start raising some kind of evil demon or something like that. (laughs) But before they get the chance, the front door just opens right up and we get William Castle's credit as producer and director that appears right over the opening door as it goes right into the set and that's where the guests pile in that actually leads us to our next clip well where is everybody it isn't a very warm welcome is it only the ghosts in this house are glad we're here are we all strangers to each other don't you two know each other I'm afraid I don't even know your name I know a Manny. Lance Schroeder is Frederick Lauren a friend of yours I've heard of him, but I've never met him. I work for one of his companies, but I've never seen him. I've never met the man either. Just a phone call. Do you know him? No. Then you're the only one of us who does. I don't know him. All the details about running the house were done by mail. He's quite wealthy, isn't he? Millions. And uh, five wives, I believe. Four, I think, so far. A $50,000 party for only five people is a little steep, even for a millionaire. (laughs) Well, if I were going to haunt anybody, this would certainly be the house I'd do it in. Who closed the door? This thing's made of solid steel. Annabelle, our guests are here and fortunately still alive. Is your face on yet? 
dust and dirt everywhere, and the water barely trickles. Couldn't you have had the place clean? Atmosphere, darling. You know how ghosts are. They never tidy up. That's a very fetching outfit, but hardly suitable for a party. I'm not going to the party. Mm, the spend the night ghost party was your idea, remember? Since it's going to cost me $50,000, I want you to have fun. The party was my idea until you invited all the guests. Why all these strangers? Why none of our friends? Friends? Do we have any friends? No, your jealousy took care of that. I had a reason for inviting each guest. I wanted kind of a cross-section, from psychiatrist to typist, and from drunk to jet pilot. They share one thing, they all need money. Now let's see if they're brave enough to earn it. And you call this a party? Could be. Why do you always do that? It spoils the champagne. It might explode. Never does. Would you guarantee that? That isn't funny, Frederick. Make a good headline, Playboy Kills Wife with Champagne Cork. Will you join me? No, thank you. Just a sip might improve your humor. My humor is fine, thanks. And I haven't poisoned it. It's always good to know that. Have some. You'll enjoy the party more. Go on. Your trust is so touching. And I'm not going to the party. Of all my wives, you are the least agreeable. But still alive. Mm. Would you go away for a million dollars? Tax-free? You want it all, don't you? I deserve it all. Your jealousy isn't tax-free. And your possessiveness is maddening. If ever a man had grounds for divorce. But can't prove them. The time will come. You'll slip up one of these days. Think so? If I live long enough. You remember the fun we had when you poisoned me? <laughs> Something you ate, the doctor said. Yes, arsenic on the rocks. Annabelle, you'd do it again if you thought you could get away with it, wouldn't you? Darling, what makes you think that? Something about you. Yeah, that hanging is very uncomfortable, in case you get any more ideas. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling. Darling, the only ghoul in the house is you. Don't sit up all night thinking of ways to get rid of me. It makes wrinkles. Okay, so despite the fact that they're basically talking about how they hate each other and they want to kill each other, this has got to be the best back and forth dialogue between a married couple in a film that I've seen in a while. Price, <laughs> yeah. Price is throwing so much shade in this. It's ridiculous. If he were a woman, drag queens would be imitating him. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some sort of Vincent Price drag queen or maybe drag king, I guess. Uh, it doesn't work quite the same, but... With this kind of cattiness? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He's actually throwing more shade than what the wife can even achieve. And she's trying her damnedest to just be the bitchy other kind of thing where <laughs> she's, she's holding her own. Absolutely. <laughs> He's like, listen, darling, you are the fifth one so far and I have nothing to <laughs> suffer you any further. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like he's had it he's like i've sharpened my wits against wives far younger than you and they've all come and gone and you're all that's left <laughs> all right so after this clip pritchard starts the tour first at a blood-stained ceiling where a young girl was apparently killed by something that he refers to as not human or inhuman now i'm thinking maybe he meant werewolf <laughs> Yeah, I, I could see that. Or perhaps like a serial killer or someone that would not be considered human because they were too monstrous to exist in such a time. Now, I do get the feeling that since this is based on the same source material as The Haunting, you totally get that like William Castle fun and kind of cheeky humor over top of everything. Because even the stuff that's supposed to be kind of spooky is still kind of silly. Like when Ruth Bridges, where she's spending too much time underneath the blood stain, and then all of a sudden the blood drips on her hand, and she gets yeah, she gets like quote unquote <laughs> marked by the blood. Even it that marked you now. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, is it just Elijah Cook Jr. that makes it that corny for you, or do you think it's just the whole setup there? Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of his, you know, do his crazy Ralph sort of <laughs> delivery. You know, he's like, oh, it's too late. They've marked you now. I'm going to keep drinking scotch ands. And, uh... <laughs> I actually think he believes that everything that he's saying, I think he is legitimately terrified. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting that drunk. I think he's fully on board with all of this. He is drinking to deal with the potential haunting. I think maybe with him having all the knowledge of the house and the things people have done to each other in there, he does at one point at least express some sort of fear at humans because after he gave his little speech about guns are only uh, useful on the living, there is a scene of him sitting in his chair pointing his gun at the door. Well, yeah, he doesn't know what's coming for him as far as the other human beings and given that most of the ghosts that are in the house are there because a living, breathing human being turned them from a human being to a ghost, you know, all the deaths that have occurred while he's trying to give credit to the ghost, it seems like all the stories that he tells are, so this person murdered these people. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he pulled, and he's like holding on to that knife for dear life at one point. Yeah. And that's a really spooky story too. And that may or may not be a clip coming up. <laughs> I had a really hard time not, I mean, it's only an hour and 14 minutes, but it's like all of the dialogue in this is like a clip. I might as well have just recorded the whole entire movie and said, here's your episode folks. <laughs> <laughs> But I do like where the blood actually does hit Ruth's hand. And then he says that whole spooky stuff about, oh, they've marked you now. There's no getting rid of that mark. It's going to be there forever. And then everybody else seems to try and shrug it off. And she does seem like she's a little bit freaked out where she's trying to wipe it off because, you know, who wants nasty blood from a ceiling on their hand? Who knows how long <laughs> that's been sitting up there? Yeah. And it, it must just be a leaky roof. Yes. <laughs> well, even if it's a leaky roof, it's dark water, which is not a good thing to have on your hand either. <laughs> <laughs> it's germy at the very least. Yeah, depending upon how long it's been sitting there before it drops. And if it isn't blood, it's something much worse, like feces. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of biohazard material. <laughs> And not the band, which may be bad enough to have that dropped on you, too. <laughs> Especially from that height. Yeah, they're big guys. <laughs> yeah, tall ceilings. <laughs> All right, so Frederick uses Watson to basically rank up the tension for everybody by talking everything up. And then he says something about this wine vat or the next death, and that's where they end up taking him downstairs. And then they take him to where this winery thing was supposed to be taking place in the basement. And that's where the next murder had occurred. And Pritchard remarks that there has been a murder almost in every room in the house. So there's seven ghosts and a murder in every room in the house. So that means the house only has seven rooms. Yeah, it doesn't add up. Yeah. Well, maybe some of the spirits had no unfinished business. <laughs> so what you're saying is there's significantly larger amounts of murder in the home, but those people were happy and moved on. Some, yes. <laughs> I, I believe that above there only being seven rooms in the house. <laughs> I think they just wanted to say something spooky and say that there's been nearly a murder in every room in the house. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Watson Pritchard Expedition is probably his full name. He uh, Watson Pritchard Exposition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina. Uh, Esquire, because uh, he has to write it yeah. all down. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, he he is he's maybe getting ready for a book deal, but he is uh, working <laughs> on those words. I think he should be doing a spoken word tour because one thing that this Watson Pritchard guy can do is tell a really good ghost story. He could make a shitload of money just taking people through the house in the middle of the day, giving them a ghost tour, <laughs> like they yeah. do like the Stanley Hotel kind of deal. <laughs> Have yeah. the caretaker woman come at him on the dolly track and. <laughs> <laughs> on the roller skates yeah but anyway they make Ooh, it by the way have you did you know her name is mrs slides <laughs> yes yeah mr and mrs slides we, we will get to I that i just always find that humorous <laughs> That's William Castle for you, I guarantee you. That is exactly William Castle for you. Absolutely. Pritchard's taking them down to the basement, and he's talking about the murder that is happening there in the winery, and that actually leads to our next clip. All this belonged to a Mr. Norton, who didn't die here. He was electrocuted later. Mr. Norton did a good deal of experimenting with wine, but his wife didn't think it was any good. So he filled the vat with acid and threw her in. She was supposed to stay down, but the bones came up. It's a funny thing, but none of the murders here were just ordinary, just shooting or stabbing. They've all been sort of wild, violent, and different. God, she didn't fall in. You mean there's still acid in there? Destroys everything with hair and flesh. Just leaves the bones. My, it's dry and dusty down here. Oh, there's a a cure for that upstairs. (laughs) How'd you get invited to this party? No. Oh, go on. I mean, what'd he tell you? Mr. Lawrence said everybody would get $10,000. But he didn't say anything about being locked in. No. Uh, he just made a deal with me on the phone, but nothing about having to stay. Aren't you going to stay? If I don't, I lose $10,000. I'm going to stay, too. $10,000. Yeah. You believe in ghosts? I don't know. Well, I agree with what that doc says. You can spook yourself. I've done it in planes. See, things that weren't really there. Or were they? (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do with your 10,000? If we get it. What do you mean, if we get it? Won't he pay us if we stay? Ah, sure he will. 10,000 is no more to him than a nickel is to us. We were in an automobile accident. Now I'm the only one in the family who can make any money. All right, so we need to talk about this right off the bat. There's a little bit of an issue that's going on with this film. I don't know how to talk about this being a white male, but goddamn, there's some patriarchy issues going on with this. You think? Yeah. <laughs> you think? <laughs> the guy the guy kind of hangs back, waits for everybody else to go upstairs, shuts the door whenever Nora and him are just alone in the wine cellar. Then when she tries to leave... He pushes the door shut and says, no, let them go ahead of us. I was like, exactly. I was like, my, my warning bells went off where I'm like, no, dude, you do not do that. <laughs> and it's like nowadays watching it when I'm in the frame of mind where I'm at now, where I'm trying to grow as a person and I see things like that. I'm like, oh, that's bad. Don't, don't do that. That's no rapey bad. <laughs> yeah. It's a little creepy to put it mildly. But. Yeah. Lance is, uh, Lance is mildly rapey, right? I'm, I'm not crazy, right? Wait. No. no, I mean, Lance is a walking penis. <laughs> but clearly Nora is just suffering from hysteria. There's nothing from wrong hysteria. with the way the men are treating her. It's just clearly hysteria. Yes. Obviously. And just the repeated <laughs> desperation <laughs> in her voice when she's like, Lance, <laughs> Lance. <laughs> every time I see this movie and every time she says that, I have to laugh out loud because it sounds so ridiculous and hysterical. <laughs> Lance. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, when you say hysterical, do you mean hysterical or hysterical as in hilarious? Hilarious. <laughs> I, it's, it's hilarious. Yes. I, I really have a problem with wilting women as heroines or, or leads in a film. And Nora, I do too. Nora causes me physical pain sometimes. Oh, oh, absolutely. I laugh at it because it is so ridiculous. And the fact that it was so much the norm, you know, not that there isn't plenty of patriarchy and mansplaining that still goes on today. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But it just, uh, I'm so glad that we're, we've moved at least somewhat on from this. Not everything you see in every single movie now. Yeah, absolutely. I think Darren and I are going to go on to explain to you how the patriarchy is working. As two men, we will explain to you. Please do, because I, I just don't get it. I... <laughs> well, you know, Court, Court, I have to tell you, I wasn't listening because she was a woman talking. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so I can't help you man. I can't help you mansplain. Oh, the sexism is killing me. I had to come up with the, with the worst I had to come up with the worst worst thing and I was like, okay, what's what's worse than mansplaining? Totally not ignoring. listening and then completely ignoring. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just dismissing. That's probably the worst thing that you could possibly do. And that yeah, happens to her. Yeah, it does. It totally happens to her. I think the thing that really bothers me about watching it this time with the critical eye with seeing this is my maleness didn't allow me to see how wrong a lot of Lance's actions were until now. Like, Nora doesn't really bug me X amount of times that I watched before, other than the fact that she is kind of the wilting willow, and that's a trope, and I just kind of got tired of all of the screaming and everything. But this, right. this time around, like I said, as I'm trying to grow as a person, I see that, and I'm like, ooh, Lance, buddy, uh, you, you huddle up over here. You, you don't treat a lady or anybody else like this. You don't leave them in a room and shut a door right in front of them very forcefully when they're trying to open it. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. Not just oh, in this already room. Scared. Not, not only in this room either. Not just in this room, but he does it later on too. <laughs> I mean, that's technically kidnapping. He's impeding her leaving an area. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, honestly, they don't really—they don't really treat Ruth Bridgers, the older woman, much better. They just they get just... her liquored up and sort of ignore her. Exactly. <laughs> the other option: you treat her like she's a wilting willow. Or you ignore her. <laughs> I think it also bugs me, too, because this is so unlike a lot of other William Castle's female characters. A lot of his other female characters are much more developed and are full-fledged characters. You know, you see that in a lot of his other films, and this one just does not hit the mark at all. Yeah, I mean, the and the wife, you she pretty much, she's not super developed, but she ends up turning into where it's like, okay, she has to have Trent help her. She can't do this thing on her own, which you get to some degree, but still, her lover has to save her from her husband. She needs a big, strong man to have a little girl murder the husband for them. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and that that is one thing that I like that they didn't totally de bang Nora was I mean she did some hardcore or she thought she did some hardcore stuff at the end there you know like if she was totally wilting she wouldn't have been able to uh, to pull that trigger no more than likely she would have just backed into the acid vat and called.
called it a day if she was a completely wilting non. She would have fainted. Yeah. She would have fainted yeah. into the acid. Get bat, the vapor. Get the vapors and fainted <laughs> into the acid. Bat. And you know what? If that's your reaction, if you totally faint in the face of fear, that's a systemic thing that happens. It's called fight or flight. And unfortunately, part of that reaction makes you just pass out and be like, "I'm going to die anyway." So whatever. It does happen to people. <laughs> It's just that it doesn't always happen to women like they make it happen in horror movies. Right. Yeah. All right. So while Lance has somehow convinced Nora that it's okay to be locked with him in a murder basement in a winery and go exploring <laughs> about the place, somehow Lance gets locked into one of the closets. Uh, the door just shuts all of a sudden. All the lights go out and Nora begins to panic because spooky sounds are accenting the situation that she's currently in. And then all of a sudden, a ghost on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just kind of glides out of the shadows, holding perfectly still like a mannequin, and then glides right back into them all creepy and weird. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but when you are blind and old, your legs no longer need to move in order for you to transport yourself. <laughs> is that what it is? True story. I read it in like a book about science and shit. Ah, uh, okay. Thanks for helping. <laughs> is it that your toes become, is it that your toes become so strong that you propel yourself with your toes like they're spider legs or uh, something else? Only if you're an old lady with osteoporosis. (laughs) You have to be blind, you have to be an old lady, and you have to have have osteoporosis. Got it. Then then nature goes, we'll give you spider toes. That way you don't have to worry about moving and breaking things. (laughs) Yeah, just keep your teeth bared. (laughs) At all times. That way, people re- it'll be like a reflective vest, and the people that you are surging towards, phantom-like, uh, can be aware and step to the side. Because they're not blind. As much as we're having fun with this, in 1959, that was fucking nightmare fuel. That would that would make a kid have a heart attack, practically. Because that was... Oh, it's still spooky to see. That scared the shit out of me first time I saw it. Maybe first four times I saw it. It's still creepy. I mean, like, you know it's coming, and then you see it, and you kind of laugh at it now, but you gotta, you gotta extrapolate the time frame that it happened in. It's offsetting. I mean, there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. Just her facial expression. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she has a very, like, Nosferatu pose, and then well, not the first time that you see her, but it's just the bared teeth and then <laughs> the the schnoz sticking out of the front of her and then the dead <laughs> eyes that are supposed to be blinded eyes. And she just kind of comes out. Hair. Yeah. And she just comes out of the shadows and then goes right back into it. I believe this may be the start of exploitation. is <laughs> this first lady right here. <laughs> Because I don't know what else to refer to her as, but it's definitely creepy. It is very weird the way that they do it. And it's definitely enough to send poor wilting Nora darting off screaming and running for help with the others. Lance, help! It's hysteria, darling. It's just hysteria. All right, so once Nora gets upstairs, she begs them to come look for what has just happened because apparently Lance... Would you like a sedative? (laughs) That's not yet, but yeah, coming soon. She begs them all to come downstairs because Lance had gotten locked in the room and that's what started all this spooky (laughs) stuff happening. Our our hero, our beefcake, gets uh, clubbed in the head in the dark with the door being latched behind him and it's locked in a way that Nora can't get to it or open it or anything like that. But when they're all down there with Nora, the door opens no problem because, you know, you can't gaslight somebody without making them look crazy in front of a bunch of other people. (laughs) Right. True. And there are many, many 
literal gaslights in the these scenes. Yes. <laughs> there is figurative gaslighting and literal gaslighting in this film. <laughs> they find Lance knocked out in the middle of the room. He says he must have bumped his head, but the room is only bare walls. And I love how the doctor points out, well, how is that possible? There's nothing on the walls here. You would have to run head first. Is that what you did? And Lance is like, no, shut up. <laughs> I'm a fighter pilot. <laughs> I, I can keep my sense of direction. It's true north this way. And then he walks into another wall. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I like how they made this, you know, supposedly macho hero guy have a moment of embarrassment where everybody's pretty much suspects that he knocked himself out being panicked and running in the dark. <laughs> yeah. But they take him upstairs and they go ahead and start banding him up. And Pritchard then speculates as to why the ghosts only knocked him out instead of actually killing him. And my thought was if they actually killed him, they'd be stuck with Lance and his rapey ways in the house and they don't need that. Yeah. Nobody, nobody likes a rapist dead or alive. <laughs> and he's not even like full on rapist. He's just sexual predator threatening. And they've got a little girl ghost there they need to protect. Yeah, he's he's too creeper to be with the creeps. <laughs> <laughs> he's too creeper to be with the spooks and ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Look, we're into graveyards and weird things, but uh, you, sir, are too much with your shutting the doors and not letting women leave. Not cool. We have, we have standards, you know. <laughs> Just not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very ghoul. <laughs> very unghoul of you. They cross dissolve to the exterior of the house <laughs> and then the parlor where the doctor Trent is patching up Lance. The doctor automatically writes off Nora's experience as hysteria because she's a woman, but makes absolutely no comment about what happened to Lance or says anything having to do with hysteria for him because he's a man. So clearly whatever he says happened actually happened. This is another part where I was notating it. And I'm like, fuck movie. This is uh <laughs> not, not cool. Oh, <laughs> my next note. So hysteria is only a female problem? Question mark. Uh, yeah. Do we want to deal with that societal issue? Because that that's a thing, right? I mean, that's something that. Yeah. Has hence why we were like prescribed by doctors for years vibrators. It was to get rid of hysteria. <laughs> I can see how that would yeah. actually work. Kind <laughs> sure, of. I mean, I wouldn't be complaining, but I'm just. But weren't there also some doctors that uh, offered to do that for you? Yes. Or, uh, and that that would be, I, I would find that to be much less pleasing than given a vibrator and sent sure. on a merry way. Clip. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I know, buddy. We're going to make up for that. We're going to make up for that. I promise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, I remember seeing something, and I can't remember exactly where this was, so I'm going to definitely be speaking out of term, but I'm just kind of asking it right now. But isn't hysteria specifically the term hysteria? Isn't that something that has to do with female anatomy? And that's why they named it that way? Because, like, it, it, it has to do specifically with women, right? Like, that's why they call it that term. Yes, yes it is. And they, they thought it, I mean, because a hysterectomy removes the womb, so they actually thought that the source of hysteria was the womb. The womb, and, right. And that's why they had the quote-unquote womb manipulators, which are the old-fashioned vibrators to relieve the right. hysteria. <laughs> oh my it's, gosh. It's even a creepy word to say. Yeah, now that you know what it is, it totally is. Like, you can't, I can't call something hysterical now without automatically thinking that it's wrapped in a womb. <laughs> Just saying, you know? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. We're going deep into the house on Haunted Hill. 
<laughs> I'm sure William Castle had all of this in mind. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. Uh, no, he probably didn't. But it bears talking about. I mean, there's well, significant story things that are wrapped around some very broad generalization about broads. Well, exactly. And this guy, Trent, is a psychiatrist. So at that point, hysteria would have still very much been a condition a woman was diagnosed with. I don't think that even stopped. It really didn't go out of fashion until, I want to say, the 70s. Then they just found another term for it to make it be like, oh, she's got woman problems. Well, yeah. I mean, like PMS, they didn't acknowledge necessarily existed. But some of the issues related to that were thrown into the hysteria camp. And much of the way that they treated women psychiatrically, it was all women very discounted as far as, you know, it's something that was a physiological thing at times. I think Castle may have thrown that in there because that's what the women were at that time. I almost kind of wonder, too, if because gaslighting was this thing that horror movies did all the time and the way that William Castle sort of hid these little social commentary stuff, if this is kind of something that he was thinking about, maybe he made Nora that much more over the top intentionally to draw attention to the fact that this is a ridiculous trope because I've seen that in his other films where he's done things very similar to that. I want to give the man credit that he's not falling victim to just using a trope to move his story along, I almost feel like he's calling attention to it because it's so much more over the top with Nora than any other female character that's gotten gaslighting that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, and because, that's possible. Because I love William Castle, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. No one's going to talk me down from that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So enough about this sad, depressing things that happen to females because, you know, we can discount that because they're females, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you hear those sirens? They're coming for you, bud. <laughs> For me, huh? They're coming for me. Talking to oh. two men via Skype is driving her hysterical. <laughs> it's hysteria. <laughs> All right. So at some point, once everything gets settled down and Nora has offered her sedatives and things like that, Ruth Bridges actually walks right over to Frederick, Lauren, and asks him if he really will pay anyone who will stay all night in the house. She even gets very bold and just basically says, will there be any red tape? How quickly will we get the money? She's not even mincing words where she's like, I'm going to do this, but you better fucking pay up or there'll be hell to pay. (laughs) (laughs) Then right after that, Nora goes wondering with Lance once again, not a good idea, Nora. Why are you trusting this man? Lance. <laughs> it's hysteria, darling. You, you can trust him. Uh, so they're wandering off to go investigating, and they're going down to the room where Lance was cold cocked because apparently he is a hero who needs a woman around to support him emotionally the entire time, which is perfectly fine when it's not 1959. Just saying. <laughs> He's investigating the room where he was cold cocked and they're looking around. They're trying to find a hollow wall or some type of a passage. And then they notice that there is a little bit of a difference between what's going on inside the two rooms with what's outside. He even walks the distance and counts three, six, nine, twelve between the doors, goes inside three, six, nine, three, six, nine. There's some kind of a passageway. There's something going on. He knows something's up and they're just kind of looking around at what's going on. So he has Nora go to the other side of the room when they knock on the wall and find a hollow spot as well. And then he has Nora knock close to the floor. And when she stands up, she turns around and rolls right into our roller skate ghost, who is frozen in a (laughs) scare pose like a statue. Like a weeping angel. Yeah, she's got the the Nosferatu pose hardcore in this one. The fangs are out. The teeth are bared. The nose is pointed south. The hands are up in the air. 
like claws. They look like raptor claws. The hair claws. is everywhere. Yeah, the, the hair everywhere. <laughs> yeah, she's looking horrifically terrifying. I mean, they really dolled her up to look like some kind <laughs> of weird monstrosity. And so she's there for a moment, just holding perfectly still, because as we know, blind people can also turn to stone at will when they feel threatened. <laughs> <laughs> And then once Nora, mechanism. yeah, it totally is. And then once Nora screams a bunch, the ghost then glides on out of the room or slides, if you will, out of the room. Well, Nora she just slides. Yep. This is slides. That's why she's sliding out of the room. And all the while Nora is screaming her lungs out and Lance's name over and over again and really hurting my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Lance actually shows up after being summoned by several cackling, mad screams of hysteria, darling. <clears throat> the ghost then disappears, and Nora is being gaslit by someone. Right now, we're suspecting Lance because he's leading her around by the nose or the ovaries because it's hysteria. Either way, you want to look at it. But some particular body part is being dragged around, and she is freaking out at everything that she sees. And so she's pretty much convinced Lance is the one that's treating her like this so she storms off because she has had enough of this shit she goes darting up the stairs and she runs smack dab into annabelle lauren who offers nora the ability to freshen up which basically means she takes her to her room it means do you want to change into another outfit while you throw that much uh distress out <laughs> you might need a costume change honey <laughs> Trust me, I've been around long enough. That's what Annabelle's saying. <laughs> was Mrs. Lauren in Spider Baby? Yes, she absolutely was. That is one of my favorite Jack okay. Hill films of all time. Uh, okay. She got the role in Spider Baby because of this role, and because Jack Hill loved her in this. Oh, really? Yeah, and also because even though she was a little bit older by the time that she did Spider Baby, she was all about showing off her body because it was an incredible body and she was very proud of it. So all the scenes in Spider Baby, she actually was like, oh, no, no, let me pick this out or whatever. And she basically chose, as far as I remember anyway, from the commentary, she chose the lingerie in Spider Baby and was very comfortable running around mostly naked, which was probably why she got chosen this movie because she was very prominently displaying her body in this as well for 1959. Oh, yeah. yeah especially for the time. Yeah. yeah. So even though Annabelle is basically offering to have a place for Nora to have the ability to freshen up, she's essentially only just using this opportunity to interrogate Nora as she suspects some kind of possible hanky-panky between Nora and her husband. It really seems that way because she's like, how does you know him? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you're from his office. Yeah, what do you do for him? Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> exactly. do, you, do you take notes on the couch underneath him? <laughs> You know, how else do you service my husband? I mean, her questions get pretty, pretty bold right there. And yeah. I don't know. I don't think Nora's bright enough to get it. No. Well, there's that. And I don't know if Annabelle is doing this in such a way to find out necessarily if she is having an affair with her husband or if she knows her husband well enough to where their plan that she has concocted using Nora will go off without a hitch. It could be looked either way where she's interrogating her to try and see if how much she knows her husband 
find uh, Frederick, you know, and if Nora knows Frederick, would she trust him enough to where she wouldn't suspect that he's the one trying to harm her or whatever? So it could be looked at that way, but it's definitely played off where Annabelle is the jealous wife of what's going on with you and my husband. Well, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Or as I like to racistly put it, Chinese menu. I think also one of the reasons why Nora ends up going along with Annabelle in this is she's obviously not wanting to go anywhere in the house alone anymore. And at one point, Annabelle even warns her, you should not go anywhere else in this house alone ever again. (laughs) (laughs) It's really ominous where she's just like, don't go in the house anywhere alone. And then... And they're already outnumbered. Yeah, because there's four men and three women. We'll get into that as well. But there are also seven ghosts and there's a ghost for every person, I think they say later on in the film too. So they And they said four men, three women, as far as the ghost goes. Yeah, so no matter how you stack it up, they're all <laughs> outnumbered, whether yeah. it's, it's eight and six or four <laughs> and three and four and three. Carry the one. Now, after Annabelle drops off Nora in her room to get herself all cleaned up after her hysteria, she ends up telling Nora at some point that she's also in danger when she warns her to not go in the house. And then after she drops off Nora in her room, she then runs into Lance and is introduced to him when they bump into each other as he's heading up the stairs all the way to where these rooms are. And Annabelle ends up getting a little more info on what happened to them in the basement and asks Lance for a little bit of help. And that is actually our next clip. Look, what's going on here anyway? I mean, what is with this party bit? This is no party. He's planning something. Your husband? I wish I knew what it was. Must be pretty big if he's going to lay out 50000 The money doesn't mean anything. He has a reason for getting us all up here to this dreadful old house. Well, what for? He doesn't even know us. Maybe that's exactly why you're here. Well, what can he get away with? Oh, he thinks that big money like his can get away with anything. You know, of course, that I'm his fourth wife. The first simply disappeared. The other two died. Lance, I don't want to join them. You mean he, uh... Oh, his doctor said they died of heart attacks. Two girls in their 20s. Well, what can he do? My husband is sometimes insane with jealousy. Nothing matters to him then. Please be careful. Would he hurt you? He would kill me if he could. What if both of his wives just had congenital heart failure? I mean, it is very possible, and he looks like he has the kind of money that he likes to party hardy, even though he's very cautious with the champagne. Doesn't mean he necessarily killed his 20-year-old wives out of, I got nothing. There's no excuse for that. Yeah, he's murdering women. Well, I mean, yes, it's possible that someone died, but the the odds aren't good. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Of two wives having heart attacks back-to-back in their 20s? Right. I mean, it could happen, but... It could if he was one hell of a lover, which I picture Vincent Price as being, so therefore for it works <laughs> don't get in my way with facts about how he doesn't like women after this annabelle runs back to her room and is confronted by frederick and that actually leads to our next clip annabelle you're missing all the fun nora manning was almost killed by a falling chandelier the pilot bashed his head in is he badly hurt Saturnine psychiatrist bandaged him up. Don't you want to go and console him, as you do most men in your fashion? You're so clever, Frederick. So I lie awake nights wondering why I married you. It was rather a mistake. You didn't marry me, dear. I married you. Unpleasant, but no mistake. Hurry up. Frederick, for the last time, I'm not going to your party. And for the last time, it's not my party, but yours. And you are going. I am not. You ready, dear? No. Are you ready, dear? Yes, damn you. Would you adore me as much if I were cool? (laughs) No. All you want to be is a lovely widow. It's almost time to lock up the house. 
then your party will really begin. I wonder how it'll end. Okay, there's uh, there's no justification for his behavior in this scene in any way, shape, or form. He's clearly an abusive husband. Yeah. In my notes, I wrote, after this domestic violence scene, because he grabs her hair while he's talking to her and just starts yeah. yanking on it. And that is such a controlling way where he's like, are you ready? Then he causes her pain and asks again, pointing out that he's in control. She has no choice in the matter. And watching it now really really bugged me like i i had a hard time dealing with seeing vincent price in such a way and i've seen him in the conqueror worm where he's so much more worse of a scumbag yeah after seeing some of the stuff that he did in this movie um i have to be honest that later that night i watched his episode of the muppet show (laughs) you needed a palate cleanser I, 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 yeah, I needed to see him with Muppets not hurting people. Particularly women, because, yeah. Yeah. If you, well, I mean. It's pretty clear to begin with that they have some sort of abusive relationship, at least emotionally abusive. You know, the fact that he, she calls him out of like, oh, we don't have any friends anymore because you're so jealous. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot I of sniping. Been in that relationship before, unfortunately. <laughs> I also kind of wonder if maybe the fact that he's jealous has something to do with the fact that she's also actually cheating on him well yeah i mean that is another aspect too but but he's not blameless in this in any way shape or form yeah because he's being violent towards his wife which is not cool yeah physically violent (laughs) yeah they're verbally violent to each other and there's been a hint that she tried to poison him because he says do you remember what fun we had when you poisoned me earlier in the movie and so i wonder had this violence been occurring and in her desperation she tried to kill him is this an act of her trying to survive or is the violence because she tried to kill him and now he's going after her and how many of his wives have probably tried to do the same gold digging route and is he preemptively killing them like who's the good person here and who's the bad person because we only really get to see how he's acting towards her and we're not really sure how nefarious and evil she's been as well and what she may have done to drive him to this all we know is they are a very dysfunctional (laughs) couple who is really really full of hatred for each other and they so significantly need to get a divorce whatever thoughts you had beforehand whenever she talks about how he had four wives before her and they had all died and she doesn't want to be the fifth seeing him grab her hair like that automatically puts him in the villain category and so you kind of sympathize with her and I think they did that way on purpose and it's only because I played a thought experiment where I'm like well he said that she poisoned him earlier is is that true or is that just another thing that he used to control her what's going on here I'm starting to get gaslit by this movie. Something William Castle does on purpose of making you, I think, change your mind somewhat. Who's the real villain here? Who's really kind of the most evil at this point doesn't matter because it's very clear that both of them are villains. It's just which one at this point is the more abusive and more villainous that you can kind of choose between the two. Because right right now your only choice for good people are a drunken leprechaun. (laughs) (laughs) as the guys from Rift Tracks pointed out for Elijah Cook uh, you got Ruth Bridges who is just drinking her way through the night and hoping that she'll survive and the doctor who's constantly belittling every woman around him in some way shape or form and then you got Mr. Rapey Pants Lance and then the wilting Nora like I only really want to watch Vincent Price in this but I know he's kind of the villain and I feel bad about it all at once yeah I mean he is but that that is one of those things I guess 
I'm using a little bit of memor- other memory of Vincent Price because he can play a lovable bastard, you know? He's just not that lovable in this movie. But um, I think some of, like, if just watching this on its own, it's it was a lot rougher than I, I thought it would be. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it was really hard, but it was like, oh, shit. Well, he comes across as the lovable bastard at the beginning, But once he starts, like, yanking her hair around, then you're kind of like, okay, you've taken this to a whole other level. You're just a bastard. Right. When he grabs her hair and you see her head jerk back, you can almost hear the sound of screeching tires where the brakes get put on by you identifying with them as a a viewer where you're like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I'm just like, right there. Too, too fucking far. So Frederick is talking to Lance and Nora, telling them it's time to gather in the living room area after he domestically abuses his wife to control her to bring her downstairs. And basically, it's almost midnight, and they need to make their final decision on whether or not they're going to stay or they're going to go. Nora returns to her mm. room to fix her hair, I think, because she kind of looks in the mirror and kind of fixes it a little bit. And then she she opens her, I'm putting it as a travel bag because she refers to it as her suitcase, but it's far too small for that. It looked like a glorified makeup bag that was like an overnight bag, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're only staying one night. You really need to pack a nightgown and the next day's clothes. That's all you need, so. And right as she opens the bag, there is a bloody severed human head in it. And of course, she screams a lot and very loudly <laughs> and then runs off to the hallway. Lance! She finds an area that was blocked off by a curtain and she goes behind the curtain and up against the wall and kind of roaming around in there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Nora would be the worst person to be following in like a haunted house kind of situation when it's it's not really a haunted house, but when it's like one of the Halloween haunted attractions you go to, you don't want to, you don't want to be behind Nora, (laughs) but in an actual haunted house, you want to be behind Nora because she's going to go wandering off into the areas where she'll go get killed. And you can be like, okay, where she went, I'm going the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Once she gets behind that curtain, she is grabbed by an old man who tells her to come with us before he kills you. Once again, there's a whole lot of schnoz going on with the Slides family. They both have <laughs> huge fucking noses. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but like when he's talking to her and he's whispering in her ear, his nose is almost sticking out of the front of her face. So either Nora has an extremely small head or he's got a schnoz that could win a war. Or maybe he's fibbing and it's like (laughs) Pinocchio time. I don't know which. Uh, He had about 15 minutes between uh, the intermission playing Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, like hello come with us come with us before he kills you okay bye (laughs) okay i gotta go back gotta go back (laughs) she ends up breaking free and then runs off out of the curtain area and down the stairs and then they cut to a clock and we see that it is a quarter till midnight lance arrives asking about nora because she's nowhere to be seen then nora follows after coming downstairs looking very upset and suffering from hysteria she doesn't want to stay here anymore she's basically had it the old man grabbing her has just been the wit's end for her that and finding a bloody severed human head in her suitcase where her nightgown should have been and then just then it is revealed that the old man that grabbed Nora and the roller ghost from earlier is actually (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Slides that's right that is their actual name they even say it that's fucking hilarious They are the caretakers of the house, and I don't think you could get any creepier than the slides. The electric slides. Woogie, woogie, (laughs) woogie, woogie. Exactly. Yeah, so Nora is sufficiently gaslit at this point. 
she couldn't get any more gaslit than she currently is, or so we think. Frederick ends up talking to the doctor about hysteria, asking all sorts of questions. He goes, no, I think Nora is just upset at this point. I'm pretty sure that she's suffering from something more than just being upset. She's being terrorized, people. Come on. And so finally, Annabelle makes her way (laughs) down the stairs and makes her appearance to the group, and immediately everybody forgets about poor hysterical Nora because they've got a ooga lady in the room, so clearly all the men are going to focus their attention on her. She does look quite fetching. I'm not going to deny that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Absolutely gorgeous, that woman. Not going to lie. She is introduced to everyone and Nora tells Lance Lauren is trying to kill her all hush hush and whispery whispery and this is Mr. Lauren this is like five minutes till midnight where she actually starts talking to Lance and she's wanting to go and that is when Frederick Lauren gives out the final rules for the evening in our next clip may I have your attention please I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night $10,000 a piece if any of you don't survive $50,000 will be divided amongst the rest of you. If I should die, you will be paid by my estate. When the door is locked from the outside by the caretakers, we'll all be forced to stay in this house until morning. If any of you decide not to stay, you must leave with the caretakers now. You won't have a chance to change your minds later because there'll be no way to get out. I don't want to stay. Wait. Midnight yet? Who told them they could leave? They never leave before midnight. Well, they've gone now. I was going to ask you whether you wanted to stay or not, but it seems that the caretakers have made the decision for you. We're all locked in now. But I don't want to stay. I'm sorry, my dear, but it's too late now. Darling, haven't you had enough of the silly game? Get some cars up here for these people and let them go home. But pay them first. This is your party, remember. In spite of my wife's faith in my ability to do the impossible, we will all have to stay in this house until 8 o'clock in the morning. But we have some party favors for you in these little coffins. My wife's idea, I must say, I think it's rather dangerous. I suppose you all know how to use one of these things, but in case you don't, you just press down on this lever with your thumb and then pull the trigger. You see, they're loaded. These are no good against the dead, only the living. Doctor? Lance? Nora? Go ahead, take it. Miss Bridges? And here's yours, dear. I don't need it. It was your idea. Who knows, you may want to use it on me before this night is over. Throw these guns away. They won't do you any good. I agree with Pritchard on that point, although not for the same reason. Dr. Trent, don't you approve of our little party favors? Suppose Nora had had a gun when she mistook the blind woman for a ghost. I don't think anyone else is going to walk around in total darkness. Oh, I'm sure we're not going to go running around the house shooting each other, aren't you? Who knows? Fear makes people do amazing things. Mr. Pritchard, you said your sister-in-law killed a man and a woman here and cut them up? You said they found hands and feet, but they never found any heads. Would you like to see one of those heads? Would you all like to see one of those heads? Well, just follow me. Okay, so this party was very clearly sponsored by the NRA. Because if you're going to bust ghosts, you got to do it with guns. Oh, yeah. I just want one of the shoebox-sized coffins. (laughs) 
I love those. So Nora is losing her shit at the end of this here because this gaslighting has been in full effect and it's been somewhat overly effective. I think they kind of round her around the bend a lot further than what they were expecting. And so she leads everyone up to her room to see the bloody severed human head. And Mrs. Lauren gives Mr. Lauren her gun back, saying that she will not need it. And he makes a point to put it back into the shoebox sized coffin that apparently Vanessa knows how to build. Not Don't focus on that. Don't focus on that. <laughs> he puts it back into the coffin box and closes it. They gather in Nora's room and her travel bag is back to normal. It is lacking a bloody severed human head. The doctor says she must be upset and offers her a sedative. <laughs> a sedative? What? <laughs> oh. Give him a sedative? Sedative! No. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> yeah. At this point when poor Nora is at her wits end and everybody is just constantly tormenting her and then the doctor goes my darling you're upset would you like a sedative i was like god damn it dude <laughs> i mean like i'm not the most sensitive person on the face of this earth i'm barely even a human being and i'm trying i'm really trying to be better and just hearing him say that and knowing that it bugged me you let me know that i was on the right track <laughs> i was like she doesn't need a sedative she needs somebody to fucking believe her and just sit with her so no more weird shit happens to her <laughs> that's why you had so many pill addictions from women in the 50s and 60s. It was all the housewives who had the hysteria, hysteria. The quote unquote hysteria, and who were just prescribed pills by doctors. Yeah, easy, easy, easy solution. Give her a sedative. I think my mom was given those too. Oh, all right. Uh, all, all the ladies that have gone before me, I would wholeheartedly like to apologize to each and every one of you individually. And I will now start by name. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the, the further I get into this this journey of trying to be more of a human being, the harder it's getting to suffer the things that have gone before me and just realizing that that's just how it was and there's nothing I could do to go back and change that other than keep it from happening now as best I can. All right, so the bag's back to normal. The doctor offers the sedative. Nora has had enough at this point. She doesn't want anybody to be fucking with her, so she demands they all leave. Pritchard is dealing with the lock-in in the best way possible by being completely <laughs> and utterly drunk and alive. <laughs> I have to say, if you legitimately feel like you are in a haunted house and death is right on the horizon and there's an open bar, might, as, yeah, might as well go out with a fucking grin on your face and like seven sheets to the window where you can't feel it whenever they start massacring you. You might as well. <laughs> the rest of the group debates whether or not they should try to do anything further. The doctor is dubious about Mr. Lauren's complicity in Nora being terrorized. He kind of hints that he might be responsible for it because he definitely says she's had enough, leave her alone. She's had enough or something like that. And they fade from that to Lance. Lance! <laughs> Hysteria, darling. Uh, checks on Nora, and she has left her room, and he finds a bloody, severed human head hanging in her closet and does the first logical and humane thing I've seen Lance do <laughs> the entire movie. He's like, oh, there it is. I'll grab it so there's proof that somebody <laughs> did put that in her shit. 
It's in her bag for a reason, and here it is in her closet. So he grabs the head and starts walking around with it. I love <laughs> I love this. He's just got a hold of the hair on the head, and he's just walking around like it's no big deal. And he's looking for Nora, where he's almost like, look, look, I got proof you're not crazy. That means you have to sleep with me. At least that's a <laughs> feeling that I... <laughs> at least that's a feeling I get. It's the whole reason he's doing this. Like, ah, Nora. <laughs> <laughs> Nora, have seven head. Nora, sleep with Lance. Lance. <laughs> so, so now Lance. Nora head. <laughs> now, now we've turned Lance into a Frankenstein's monster or a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> that is his seduction technique. He practically bumps her on the head and drags her by the hair wherever he wants her to go. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't slap her in this movie. When if she, I'm speaking frankly. When she's screaming around and stuff and he's got to bring her out of it, he didn't give her a good slap to the face. <laughs> I, no, I, I, the psychiatrist would have been the one to slap her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if anybody's going to, it seemed more like the psychiatrist technique. I know I'm going to regret saying this, but from the psychiatrist perspective, of course you can slap a woman in the face. I mean, she has a face, right? <laughs> Clue sort of reminds me of this movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of slapping in Clue. (laughs) A lot of slapping of both hysterical men and women. Yeah. Well, and all the little, you know, you're talking about Clue, where they have the weapons in the little boxes. It's the same thing as the the guns in this in the little coffins. There's a lot of movies from way after this that I feel like I want to talk about at some point when we get to them in the movie uh, that I feel like we're directly ripped from homage to oh right oh yeah. yeah the actual movie of clue there is a heavy influence from not only this film but yeah. a lot of the murder mystery type uh films that came before it you know some of the film noir things and things like that but it feels like they threw it all into a blender but the thing that rose to the top is house on haunted hill you feel it oh, so I, much yeah, definitely yeah. definitely and haunted haunted honeymoon also there's, oh there's definitely yeah and i'm a huge fan of that film and i felt it this time watching it i know what you're talking about there <laughs> Okay, he takes the head down to the parlor, or the main living room, whatever you want to call it, and he confronts Pritchard, who is completely smashed at this point, and then he starts talking about how if Nora's missing, then the ghosts have probably got her, because he's just babbling on, and then Lance tries to get all macho on Pritchard, like he's going to beat an answer out of him, and then all of a sudden, Pritchard holds up the chef knife he told the story about earlier, where his uh, brother and sister-in-law were murdered by his brother's wife or something along those lines with that same knife. And he just holds it very, very violently at Lance and he just points it at him and Lance immediately cools off on his whole macho talk and backs <laughs> off. It's one of the scenes I absolutely loved. You see this little drunken leprechaun going like, I'll cut you. <laughs> just basically with his eyes. <laughs> He's, it's great. Yeah. And you know, Lance, Lance is bringing a glass jaw to a knife fight in this situation. He kind of has to... <laughs> Back off. It's totally glass jaw. He should be wearing a helmet if he's going to go fight crime or some shit like that. But yeah, it's awesome. I love this. <laughs> this little dude just puts him right in his place with the knife because he know he's not fucking around. He doesn't need to bother with Lance's shit. <laughs> But then he starts reiterating that Nora's gone and he wants to know where she is. And then Pritchard basically says that nothing can be done regardless of this. And then with that, a scream occurs and it is Mrs. Lauren who is then found hanging in the stairwell by a rope, which is mysteriously just out of the top. It's like the stairwell that goes all the way to the top. The rope is somehow tied above everything else in a way that she wouldn't have been able to jump or so they suspect or state later. And it's just her hanging there right there 
on the stairwell. And now I know you saw influence on other films, but did anybody else get any kind of a Suspiria vibe from the way that she was hanging and the way that she was there just above the stairwell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I don't yeah. I don't know if this might have had any kind of influence or if maybe it was by proxy with another film that had this kind of shot, but I'm glad that you guys saw it too and I'm not crazy. Well, yeah. well you I, might <laughs> But we could all be crazy at the same way, though. I, I am crazy, but however, I am also in a group of people who see the same thing as me. So therefore, <laughs> perspective is all about what insanity is anyway. I mean, if everybody... Does that mean we're a religion? Kind of. Like, if everybody agrees with you, then it's true. If nobody agrees <laughs> with you, then it's false, and you're probably crazy. And that's how insanity and religion works. Yeah. The doctor declares that Mrs. Lauren is, in fact, dead. Uh, I don't know what gave that away. Maybe the fact that she's hanging from a stairwell. <laughs> and Lance steps out, noticing the curtain from earlier is kind of moving, almost like there's a breeze that's pushing it, but he doesn't do anything about it just yet. Then Nora startles him and asks him to help hide her and takes her to his room. Again, Nora, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Stop going to the rapey guy for help. Yeah, I, what is it? I just don't understand. She'd be safer with the drunken leprechaun. <laughs> Much safer. He at least has multiple weapons. <laughs> And obviously the gumption to use them and no glass jaw slash headphones. Right. Nora states that a man had grabbed her and was choking her and dragged her down to the basement to try and kill her in some way. And she is also convinced that it was Frederick Lauren who tried to kill her. Lance tells Nora that Mrs. Lauren has apparently hung herself, but was probably murdered as well. And he's not sure what's going on as to why her life is also in danger, but it's better to basically just keep her behind this locked door and <laughs> hiding out from everyone else because no one will know that she's actually in her room and that's the safest place that she can be. Kind of thinking Lance just wants to lock her into a bedroom so she waits for him to come back because that's how Lance is. And yep. <laughs> you don't give Mr. Rapey Pants an adjoining door to a young <laughs> maiden's room. You just don't do that. Anyway, Lance goes through that door when there's a knock at his door in his room and goes through and answers the door and it is the doctor who wants to have a brief discussion of sorts. He wants to kind of find out what's going on. He's going to set up a meeting where everybody can talk because they're all pretty much starting to point the fingers at Lauren. Mr. Lauren, that is, because Mrs. Lauren is not going to be capable of doing anything as far as we know right now. And once the doctor leaves, Lance tells Nora to lock herself in and stay put because if Lauren thinks that she is dead, he won't come looking for her in her room. And he also shows her the gun and tells her to use it if she has to. He then leaves, she locks the door behind him, and Lauren immediately appears, walking into the room where his wife's body is, and that is actually our next clip. So beautiful. So greedy. So cold. What are you doing in here? Wait. Don't wait. What do you mean, coming in here? I can't want them to take her away. Drunk. They will if you don't watch her. You're drunk. All right, out with it, Bridget. Why did you come into this room? I'm the only one who understands. Understands what? Your wife isn't there anymore. She's already joined them. Bridget, I've had enough of your spook talk. Get out, you sot, and don't come back into this room again. Where's what's her name? Nora. 
I didn't disturb her since I don't think this concerns her. No, you're right. Mr. Lawrence, isn't there some way we can get out of this house now? No, none at all. We could try breaking out. The only door to the outside is made of steel. The bars of the windows are set in solid stone. We've got to stick. I'm not afraid of your ghost, Bridget, but I am afraid. When we came here a few hours ago, the only thing we had in common was the $10,000 we'd get. Now, however, we share something else, the death of Mrs. Lawrence. So far tonight, one of us was almost killed by a falling chandelier. One of us was mysteriously slugged. One of us has been driven to the brink of absolute hysteria. And one of us is dead. Were these accidents? Suicide? And we must stay here for six more hours. Six hours? Six of us. Time enough. Who'll be next? How will it happen? Let me ask you a question, Doctor. You were the first one to see my wife there. Did you also see anything that she could have climbed up on and then jumped? No. Did any of there was none? How then did she get up there so high? Exactly, Mr. Lauren. How? She couldn't have pulled herself up there. She couldn't have dropped from the ceiling. Do you think your wife killed herself? No. She was murdered by one of you. Or you, Mr. Lauren. To deliberately kill someone, you must have a reason. We were all strangers to your wife. Only you had a motive for murder. What husband hasn't at some time wanted to kill his wife? What husband hasn't had a thousand opportunities to do it in such a way so that he'd never be suspected? I'm not such a fool as to hang my wife from a ceiling by a rope. The fact remains that you, or one of us, murdered Mrs. Lauren, and that's a matter for the police. So how do we get the police? That's my point. We can't until morning. What began as a silly party given by an eccentric has now involved us all in murder. For once, Pritchard may be right. If another murder's in the works, let's stop it now. Another murder? Why not? Maybe one of us sought. Why should even a millionaire want to give each of us $10,000 to spend one night in a gloomy old house? See some ghosts? Have a party? No. Have you finished trying me, doctor? And is the verdict guilty of murder? Oh, this isn't getting us anywhere. Somebody killed Mrs. Lauren. We know that. One of us is guilty and the rest of us are innocent. Okay. Now, what we have to do for the next six hours is protect ourselves from each other. You really think? I don't think anything. I just know that I'm going to my room. And if anybody comes in, I'll shoot him or her. And if we all stay in our rooms, we'll be safe. Because the innocent will have no reason to leave his room. And the guilty will admit his guilt if he or she does. And we all have guns. We're all agreed. Oh, I wish this night were over. Rooms? Guns. I tell you, it doesn't make any difference. They aren't through with us yet. Ooh, spooky. I love that they're like, yes, I didn't bother Nora because this doesn't concern her. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> this totally dismisses her. Totally dismisses her. At this point, she's truly gone fishing, though. I kind of don't blame them, but at the same time, they should probably oh, yeah. try to include her, at least protect her. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So with this, they all head back upstairs and lock themselves in their own rooms, saying goodnight to each other and all leaving Mr. Lauren alone to go into his room separately. He then smashes his wife's champagne glass and I'm wondering if he actually has some legitimate grief that he thinks perhaps his wife actually is dead at this point, or if he's just flustered and wants to get it over with and takes it out on an object she last touched. Kind of hard to tell. We then see the doctor yeah. taking notes and puts his watch down to take some kind of a time. I don't know what it is that he's exactly doing. <laughs> I thought maybe he was taking the minutes of their last meeting, perhaps. <laughs> 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 I was like, what the fuck? But it's like this little character moment where he lays his watch down, he's looking at it, and he starts writing in a notepad. And then Ooh. I think he thinks he hears someone fiddling with his door because he then gets up, looks out into the hallway and starts investigating. And then he latches it back shut. We then see Ruth Bridges 
holding the gun and then putting it down and then she wrings her hands above her bed and then all of a sudden the blood drips on her once again and she frantically wipes the blood off of her hands and then they cut from that and we see Lance pocketing his gun he knocks on the adjoining door to Nora's room and then checks up on her which actually leads us to our next mini clip Nora it's me Lance you okay? They've all gone to their rooms and locked themselves in. Lance, I've been thinking. It was so dark down there. Maybe it wasn't Mr. Lord. It was him, all right. He tried to kill you, and he did kill his wife. How can you be so sure? She tried to warn me, ask me to help her. The doc thinks he's going to try and kill one of us. Now, there must be a way out of this place, and I'm going to find it and get the police before he does. I'm going with you. But if he finds out you're alive... No, Nora. You're safer here than any place else. Now, just lock yourself in and keep quiet. If I find a way out, I'll come back and get you. Okay, so after this, Lance examines the wall behind that curtain where it was moving earlier as if there was some kind of a draft or something. Then he finds some kind of a sliding panel that then immediately closes behind him because he's the most ineffective hero that has ever existed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but I had my headphones on when I was doing the review. And... (laughs) Yeah, right after the door shuts on him, you can hear him bounding on the wall. <laughs> like he's like, "Son of a bitch, you motherfucker!" <laughs> it's great. Like if you if you go back and listen to it, like if you really listen closely, right after the wall shuts on him, you can hear him pounding on it, like he's pissed that it's closed on him. <laughs> then they cut from this to Nora alone in her room as the lighting once again goes out and dims, and then there are some lightning strikes going on around her, and then a rope works its way up in between the bars of her window and then wraps around her feet and around her ankles. And she then sees Mrs. Lauren's ghost hovering by her window. And then as the ghost floats away, the rope then retracts back away from her feet and then goes back out the window ever so slowly, making sure <clears throat> that Nora has now been 100% re-gas Litton. <laughs> Litton? <laughs> but this is the scene that you were definitely kind of alluding to earlier, Darren. So go ahead, take the floor, man. I think I saw Haunted Honeymoon before I saw this, but I think this last time was the first time I ever really noticed that it was just like in, um, spoiler alert, there's a scene in Haunted Honeymoon where Gilda Radner is in a white flowing dress hung by a rope outside barred windows scaring the shit out of Gene Hackman, right? It's not Gene Hackman, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> or or uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. <laughs> Sorry. I don't... <laughs> I don't think it's possible <laughs> yeah, to scare scary. the shit out of Gene Hackman. I don't think that's possible. Yeah, nothing scares the shit out of Gene no. Hackman. Well, you're not uh, too yeah, far so off because he's worked with him on uh, in Young Frankenstein. Gene Hackman was there, so that's true. We go. Yeah, it's really funny that you put it the way that you did because I, in fact, did see Haunted Honeymoon a lot when I was a kid and way before I saw this film. And also, mm-hmm. until doing it for the review, literally last night before we recorded. I didn't even put two and two together or even think about it, but I got the same inclination, Darren. It popped (laughs) right into my head where I'm like, holy fuck, did Haunted Honeymoon borrow this? And then I started thinking 
back about some of the things that were happening where the power was constantly going out, the lightning strikes to accent the spooky things, the way that the basement mm-hmm. looks and how they go down to the basement where that chamber is uh, for the wine versus the cellar in the house off to the kitchen where they had the log pile that a lot of stuff happens in with the secret passageway and stuff. And I started drawing parallels yeah. and I'm like, holy fuck, there's a lot of influence from this. But then again, yeah. it's this type of movie too that Haunted Honeymoon is kind of referencing with those, uh, it's like the radio serials and stories that they would tell or the radio plays and dramas. And yeah, that's a great fucking movie and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a it's a family favorite over here. <laughs> and it's a shame that people never got to see the, uh, the lost scene of where uh, Vincent Price and Nora danced ball in the jack. That's what they call Paul in the Jack. Have you seen this film that we're talking about? Yeah, I have. Um, once I think it was oh. so long ago. I I need to re-see it. I, I I don't really remember it much. Oh, it's a great film, and and clearly Darren and I are both. Uh, we have it connected to our childhood in some way, shape, or form. When's the first age that you saw that at, Darren? I was really young when I saw it for sure. Because uh, like that, that, and you know, well, like Transylvania six five thousand is that the title? Yeah. Yeah, I bet both of you had cable growing up. Yes. <laughs> I did not. So that could explain part of it. Yeah. Uh, Haunted Honeymoon and Transylvania 6 5000. That with, uh, there's another movie that was on HBO a lot called Transylvania Twist. May actually be the three films that I watched the most as a little kid, which may have something to do with who I am as an adult. <laughs> uh, those. Yeah, I, did, I didn't have cable until I was 21. Oh, wow. And that was 1994? Yeah. I, so there uh, was. Honey, Moon was 86, by the way. Yeah, I would have pegged it at 85. My guess is that you also probably read more than both Darren and I have, and that's probably why you're more intelligent than we are. <laughs> well, I don't know what more intelligent, but yeah, I did read a lot. Um, and I also, when I would go to the video <laughs> store, like in the 80s, um, I, I rented a lot of art films. <laughs> weird ass shit that nobody else my age rented (laughs) well i caught a lot of the culture that i got off of cable so it kind of made me uh think outside of the box from where i grew up because if it if it weren't for cable i don't think i would have been exposed to a lot of the stuff that i was able to see so thankfully you know it may do a lot of harm to some kids but cable helped open me up to a world that i would have never known existed otherwise as a kid growing up in the middle of nowhere so nora grabs the gun because she has had it she's at her wits end darts out of the room and in the hallway and runs into another vision of mrs lauren this time hanging in the hallway she screams once again as a somewhat monster arm reaches out for her when she was backing up against the doorway and that monster arm reminded me of the arm from the tingler i don't know which one came first that they reused it i didn't check the dates but i'm positive that that was from the same monster arm from the tingler whenever i think the tingler came after this so maybe they reused it from this but it... oh, they're both 59 so who knows he had to have reused that arm because it's the same one that he uses when he's gaslighting his wife <laughs> It looks exactly the same to me. And it, come on, you know he reused it just for budgetary reasons, if nothing else. Oh, of course. But that arm reaches around, grabs a hold of her shoulder, and this sends her darting into Lance's room, and she finds it empty. And then all of a sudden, an organ starts playing music <laughs> in the corner, which, once again, haunted honeymoon, right, Darren? Yeah, yeah. I, uh... 
I was thinking that and a little bit of Scooby Doo at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Much come across as Scooby Doo. Yeah, I can see Scooby Doo borrowing <laughs> a lot from William Castle movies though, because they have kind of a similar tone. Where yeah. G. Willikers, it was always Old Man Withers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Particularly with this film. Spoiler alert. (laughs) All right. So once that organ starts playing in the room on its own with the spooky music, it sends Nora darting off once again. But this time she heads all the way down the stairs and we see the doctor walking around the hallway as he goes to knock onto Mr. Lauren's room. And that leads us to our next clip. An admission of guilt, Doctor? Certainly not. There's either somebody else in this house or one of us has left his room. Did you hear anything? Organ music? That and someone walking. You got your ready? You look downstairs and I'll look up here. Why not together? There may be only minutes, seconds left of someone's life. Why waste time? It's almost over, darling. Every detail was perfect. What's happening? We've done it. A perfect crime. Beautiful. Has she killed him? Not yet, but she will. Get me out of this hanging harness. What's taking that girl so long? What time is it? At first, I couldn't get Nora to want to protect herself with a gun. But after you appeared at the window, everything began to work just as we had planned. You were wonderful. Just the touch that finally drove her into complete hysteria. It'll be worth all of our planning, darling. Where's Nora now? What's happening? On her way to the cellar. So scared she'll shoot the first thing that moved. And Frederick? On his way to the cellar, too. David, are you sure none of them will suspect us? Of what? An hysterical girl accidentally shoots somebody? Who would suspect that we planned it that way, that we drove her to it? What about my suicide? Just a ghost party gag. We'll claim it was a dummy since I'm the only one who touched you. And the caretakers? Well, they had no idea what they were really doing. What about Nora? She's not stupid, you know. Darling, believe me, everything we planned is working perfectly. Nora is sure Frederick murdered you. She thinks Frederick attacked her in the cellar, not me. And now Nora's almost out of her mind with fear. The heads, the music, you're hanging. I tell you, when Frederick walks in there, she'll shoot him. Taking too long. David, you ought to be there. When you hear the shot, come down to the cellar. All right, so the doctor has been in on this the entire time. They have worked together to gaslight poor Nora and trick her into killing Frederick. They even make a point of pointing out that (laughs) Mrs. Lauren is very uncomfortable in her hanging harness, and she's glad to get out of the harness. And when she reveals it, and it's all kind of bondagey, I'm like, hang on a minute. Maybe you want to keep that on just a little bit longer. (laughs) I'm not saying you have to, Mrs. Lauren, but uh, I may have paused it there for a minute <laughs> to contemplate the hanging harness. Ponder, yeah. yeah. Just saying. Contemplate, that's what we're calling it these days. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I do a lot of contemplating these days in my old age. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, let's see here. So <laughs> uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable now, Court. You just ruined everything. I'm so sorry. Uh, or made it better. <laughs> hey, oh, nobody loves you like you love you. Uh, <laughs> or as uh, Woody Allen says, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with someone I love. <laughs> Spoken like the true narcissist he is. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this sends Nora to the basement to kill Mr. Lauren. And she's convinced at this point that it's self-defense, that everything that's happening to her is Mr. Lauren, including the man who tried to strangle her in the basement. The doctor even flat out says that he did it, and it's worked perfectly with the hysteria. She's in full hysteria. (laughs) 
11.59. Full hysteria reached. <laughs> it is now past midnight. It is 12.05 a.m. I have completely and utterly driven the woman into hysteria. She shall kill for me with her hysteria. Well, let's give it to at least 2.05. <laughs> Given the rest of the timing of everything else, maybe at least 2.05. All right. So she's not, not much longer, though, than midnight. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's definitely a wilting willow, but we won't give her that. You know, like it was, it was more than five minutes. You're right. I'm sorry. When she gets there, all of the candles and lamps in the room once again go out when all of a sudden Mr. Lauren appears at the staircase, which causes Nora to shoot him without hesitation and scream and then run off. Now, he even says, no, Nora, wait, or something along those lines, but she just flat out shoots him a good one. Then the doctor appears, opens the acid vat, and goes to drag Lauren's body over to it. The lights go out completely. We hear some type of noise with a type of gagging or some kind of a slushy stabbing noise or something along those lines. And then we hear the very clear acid dissolving from when they dropped the rat into the poor thing. <laughs> and then we actually hear that in the background. We then see Mrs. Lauren goes wandering down to the basement as she was told when you hear the gunshot head on down and she's in the wine cellar and she is ready to verify she is in fact a widow. Don't I have to comment on what she's wearing. <laughs> what is that flowy thing that flies kind of open i uh, i'm not complaining i'm just uh i had just i just noticed it uh that wow she's showing a hell of a lot of leg and there are a bunch of strangers around there was that commonplace i don't know but <laughs> given what <laughs> given what mr lauren had accused her of earlier by saying you will comfort men in your fashion, I think he was implying that she is a loose woman. Of course. So the outfit that she is wearing is in fact for titillation, both for the viewer and for the handsome young man that she is possibly going to encounter on her way down to the basement where the doctor has done the dirty work for her. And perhaps she is dressed that way to reward the doctor for all of his hard work by giving him a gander at her gams. There you go. Mm. <laughs> And I'm not complaining about that outfit either, because wow, <laughs> striking woman. <laughs> absolutely striking. The door closes behind her after she goes in to check on David and to verify that she is a widow and then all of a sudden all of the doors just start closing all around the room. This actually is pretty creepy and it still works for me to this day. We then mm -hmm. see the acid bath just opens up on its own as a human skeleton fully emerges from the acid and begins to slowly move towards her. At first it glides as if it is the skeleton of the Mrs. Slide's character caretaker. <laughs> And then Mr. Lauren, we hear his voice in the background talking of how she has taken everything from him, implying that he is the skeleton. Uh, she's trying to take his money. She even took his life. And then he says something about, come with me, murderess. And the skeleton starts moving towards her, and we actually see it walking step by step. And then it places a hand on her shoulder. She screams and backs away from it. And then it continues to walk at her until it gets her positioned right in front of the edge of that acid 
pit. It moves closer and closer instead of darting to another area of the room. She continues to back up in her fear, and then she falls into the acid pit, and it is revealed that Frederick was doing a marionette bit of work with her, and that the skeleton is in fact fake. And it turns out that Mr. Lauren knew the whole time, and actually used their setup and their plan against them. This is all explained very well by Mr. Price, much better than I could, in our last clip. It's him! He's alive! You didn't shoot anyone, my dear. I loaded your gun with blanks. I can tell you all now, Trent and my wife were planning to kill me. They failed. Trent tried to throw me in the vat. My wife stumbled and fell. I'm ready for justice to decide if I'm innocent or guilty. Now there are nine. There'll be more, many more. They're coming for me now. And then they'll come for you. With this final warning from our drunken leprechaun that is... Watson Pritchard. We then see the exposition. door. <laughs> Watson Pritchard exposition. You are correct. I forgot his full name. With this, the door then closes. We see the words, the end, and then the film rolls credits. All right, so despite our various quibbles of the movie overall and a lot of the things not fitting with modern times and it feeling kind of a bit dated and it's a little sexist and kind of overtly wrong and makes you think that all leprechauns are drunks, too. (laughs) (laughs) They can handle a blade. (laughs) Yeah. Despite all of this, it's a great fucking movie and it still, to me, holds up to this day. It's still very effective. No, it does not scare the shit out of me anymore, but I guarantee you, you see it at the right age with the right a bit of wonder. This film will work perfectly for you. And I think, I don't know, I think little kids could watch this and probably have a blast with it, but they also need to be taught that that is definitely not the way you treat women because everyone in this movie, (laughs) except for Nora, is pretty much a villain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. What's her name? Ruth Bridgers is not a villain either. She's just a lush. I was putting her in the drunken leprechaun category. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, like uh, like all the other sexist bastards in the film, I I forgot about Ruth. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Because the film forgets about her. She just totally drops off the map. Of course. No, they're just there to make her sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's the Scotch Anns. You know, that's... Yeah. (laughs) She drank every time that... uh... The psychiatrist said hysteria. <laughs> She's fucked up. She went to bed. She didn't even notice the blood dripping on her anymore. And Watson Pritchard exposition, being the pro drinker that he is, drank every time that Nora screamed Lance or wiltingly said Lance. And also what? whenever Pritchard or whenever the psychiatrist was actually saying the word hysteria, he also drank that, which is why he was sitting down in the lounge by himself because he's like, I had enough. If either those two fucking people say <laughs> either the trigger words again, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it's hysteria. Uh, no, but any kind of thoughts on the actual movie itself? No, I think I think you're right. I mean, it. There's so much. I think it's still enjoyable, regardless of these dated kind of portrayals of you know the sexes. But it's it. There is a point where I think even if a kid watches it now, still going to be a little creeped out, you know, because you're right. Like crazy slides, lady, whatever. <laughs> sliding along she she is a little unsettling total exploitation right that well that alone that her alone is unsettling but then you do kind of have the cool you know skeleton coming out of the vat of acid 
Um, which I love his, I, I love Vincent Price's whole marionette control panel thing he has going on. <laughs> it's so elaborate. He even walks the skeleton back to himself before he runs out of rope <laughs> and then grabs yeah. the thing. It's so great. Yeah. And then doesn't he talk to it like it's a psychiatrist skeleton? Like you've, you've helped me enough tonight or something like that. Yeah. I don't think he says the name of it. Like I, I don't <laughs> think it's actually the psychiatrist skeleton because I don't think he had enough. I mean, it's Vincent Price. Don't get me wrong but I don't think he had enough time to fashion the skeleton together and turn it into a marionette without having it ahead of time. So I don't think it could be that guy's skeleton. True. Very, very good point. It was clearly a class, you know, a high school, you know, biology class skeleton, because look at the whole hole that's in the top of the head. <laughs> when, the little black part. Yeah. When they're like, when he's, you know, having it jump around at the wife, when it comes out that vat of acid, it's kind of like, well, obviously this thing isn't real or isn't fresh or whatever. But, you know, the wife doesn't realize that. I think in a remake that would have been doing this film justice, you could have had him pull the corpse up out of the pit and have that animated when it's not fully dissolved. So it's dripping acid and horrifying mm. when it animates. That would have been fucking sweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Like, that's like an episode of Tales from the Crypt right there. Literally. <laughs> that's like something that would happen. Uh, I think it's kind of important to talk about, too. Everybody gets to the point where they talk about William Castle's various gimmicks and things like that. Everybody knows about a Merjo, I would assume, where the skeleton would actually come out from behind the theater screen and come over the audience and scare the shit out of them. But there's another gimmick in the film that a lot of people probably didn't realize, and it's also used nowadays without people even really thinking about it in any way, shape, or form. But when the movie starts out, it starts out in pitch black, and all you hear is screaming and these horror noises and laughing and all of that kind of stuff. And it would have been at volumes in a theater that you couldn't control. So it would be like this very intense super black moment where everything in the theater is pitch black and there's just noise and screaming and all this stuff going around you. And I think in 1959 that would have rocked some audiences to their core for just that brief moment that that happens before the film even starts. And they use that gimmick a couple of times where you have those kind of screams and noises and various creepy things that kind of lead you into it. And that's been mimicked by dark rides and you know, haunted houses forever where they're trying to set up a mood before they even tell you the story of what's going on behind it. Mm -hmm. I love that the skeleton gets a credit at the end <laughs> <laughs> as himself. <laughs> yeah. Did it say like by himself or something like that? Yeah. No, it's, it's the actor is, you know, it's yeah, the, like the character is skeleton and the actor's name is himself. So, yeah, <laughs> it has to be. He had to just borrow the skeleton from like some kind of a high school class or like a college nearby. Oh, completely. Yeah. That's exactly what it looked like. I think in some of the shots, you could even see the little latch <laughs> that holds the skull plate on the top of it. <laughs> no, that's what I that's what I'm saying is yeah. that it's pretty obvious. We we're talking about different scares for different times and everything like that and different ages watching the movie. You know, when I when I was younger, I noticed more of the spooky stuff and, you know, like the doors slamming and the lights and all this stuff, which is mostly trickery. But I mean, there were ghosts in that house and everything. And then the older I got, things gave way to seeing like how awful Vincent Price and like the people being more monstrous than the ghosts. I think it's like the older you get. Um, so you're saying I you're think, seeing like the surface horror at first. And then as you got older, you actually realized that there's a lot more underneath and what the humans were doing were far worse than anything the ghosts had for a threat for them. Yes. Right. I totally get that. Yeah. And I think I saw that as well. Um, I hope my notes reflected that. <laughs> but yeah, I totally get where you're coming from there. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you made my ramble very concise and clear. Or same thing, but uh, uh yeah. I- I'm a coder. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vanessa. Anything else you wanted to add in before we move on and just kind of close out the show? Um, no. I I think I added whatever I wanted. <laughs> okay, just wanted to give everybody an opportunity because I have been accused of cutting people short and not letting them finish their thoughts. And as a woman, I appreciate the fact that you allowed that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally just kidding. Totally just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but the beauty of that is you're using my newfound need to want to be more open to that kind of stuff and realizing when I'm doing something bad against me. And it's so beautiful the way you did that. (laughs) And and kind of sinister. And I I have to kind of respect that and still be terrified of you. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to play a promo for another podcast. We're going to have a little bit of music. And when we come back, we will close out this show. This is not a test. This is the Psychosemantic Podcast. Announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. A few days ago, I called the news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. We have Ben Jacobs. That's the guardian of the world. Body slammed tonight by the Republican candidate Greg Gianforte. Living with a six-year-old. I want to be on. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. I had this one big pile of shit. Well, then you two learned a very important lesson today. Cops don't help. It's a train! Now's not the time for fear. That comes later. Can you fly, Bobby? In the 20th century, the Senate voted on seven Supreme Court nominees during election years, and it approved all but one. So just to, just to put a button on this, are you ruling it out 100%? Yeah. Are you crazy? Is that your problem? Politics, movies, political movies. The Psychosemantic Podcast. Better known as the Psychosemantic Cast. He did what we all must I would like to give my guests an opportunity to promote their shows. So, is it sexist if I say ladies first, Vanessa? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, it could be, I guess, considered some, but whatever. 
there's a fine line between chivalry and sexism, and you need to walk that line. So <laughs> I just wanted to ask. But please tell the folks about your current project that you're working on. Uh, it's the VD Clinic, uh, which I do with David Anders Jr. Um, we're on Legion. Um, you, we cover a book and a movie every, well, pretty much every uh, episode. There are going to be some where we're just doing movies because, not because we're too damn lazy, but because sometimes you can't find a book to go with a movie. <laughs> um, Darren has actually been on an episode, and you will be on our next episode. <gasps> Yay, me! <laughs> Yay, you! Yeah. I like when our, stuff features me. <laughs> on our November episode, so. Yeah, I'm, but, um, I'm super excited can, to be guesting. It's going to be the first time that I actually record with David, so it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm very excited about that. Um, you can get in touch with us uh, at uh, on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Our Facebook group is VD Clinic Podcast, which if you're going to search iTunes I w- or something like that, I would suggest putting podcast at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just searching narrow, in general, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> narrow things down from a VD Clinic. Um, yeah. And our email is vdclinicpod at gmail.com. All right. Thank you very much for guesting on the show with me and helping fill in. Matt has big shoes to fill, and it took two guest co-hosts to do that. So, <laughs> And i also like to thank Darren for joining me on the show to help fill in for Matt. And please let the folks know where they can find all of your projects. All right. Thanks, dude. It was a blast. I'm. Uh, thank you very much for having me back. Uh, as as we've said, it's the Psychosemantic Podcast. Uh, since I can't pick two names, the Facebook group is Psychosemanticast, and it's also shorter. So um, we are are we? I am also <laughs> on uh, the Legion Podcast Network. I am the newest of the three of you, and or the two of you, in the three shows. I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Strike that. Reverse it. Um, <laughs> I, I am the rookie, and you guys have been hazing me in the most wonderful ways. And uh, you can find the Psychosemantic Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Legion Podcasts. Um, come to the group, hang out, check out some uh, some political talk and some mockery of politicians and public figures. Um, I think that's, that's, that's all of that. <laughs> all right, folks. And if you're listening to this show, you already know where to find us. But by some random happenstance if you just happened upon it we're also on legion podcast that's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops there is a facebook group which is labeled cinema psyops can't thank darren enough for the crazy weird alternative photography that ends up out there in our group <laughs> using his photoshop skills to both humiliate matt and myself and <laughs> single-handedly darren is the reason that matt refuses to put his actual face on facebook because he's afraid it'll get put on something he is horrified <laughs> Pie, which is why he hasn't taken away that plank that says brutal. He's a ruddy coward. Oh, I'll use the plank forever. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That that is Matt Psyop. Yeah. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Court Psyops. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt Psyop. You can email me some feedback and say fire Matt all together and bring either Vanessa or Darren or both of them back for more episodes. I'm cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at court underscore psyop. And go ahead and tweet some tweets to Matt at Matt Psyop of something funky like a scared drunken leprechaun. He'll love it. (laughs) 
or some stuff from his not spank bank from uh, <laughs> from, uh, from an anti spank bank. Yeah, from the anti spank bank. <laughs> Pretty much everything we talk about on this show is like a boner wrecker for him. So I'm sure that's going to be anything <laughs> you want to send to him. All right. So thank you once again, guys, for uh, helping fill in for the show here and uh, give me a recording with the house on Haunted Hill. I appreciate it greatly for you to spend so much time and thank everyone out there for downloading and listening to this episode. Kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. Whenever I pause, yeah, for, I hope so. This was my little sister. <laughs> go ahead. Whenever I pause for you guys to uh, go next time, I'll try and like point to a specific person to go first <laughs> as best <laughs> I can. You know what I mean? And then that, I'll just I'll cut those directions out. Right on. All right. So go ahead, Darren. You were gonna say something. Um. No, I th- I think I was just laughing. <laughs> Lance. Hysteria. <laughs> sorry, we were talking over you because Skype's fucking with us. Yeah. Sorry. Sure. That's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> My nuts have been sufficiently stomped upon. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's see here. Be nice if I could read my own handwriting sometimes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) For some reason, I was surprised when I found out you handwrite your notes. It's obsessive thing that I do. I just feel more connected to what I'm doing when I handwrite notes for movies. I don't know why. Because I do notes for all other shows and stuff like that by typing it out. But for my notes in the film, it has to be pen and paper. It's weird. (laughs) You're you're the dark half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... <laughs> point. So your show is uh, what Alexis Machine, and all the other ones are Tad Beaumont. Uh, yeah. It's eight and six, or four and three, and four and three. Carry the one. Yeah. Now after, damn the carry the one thing just messed me up. <laughs> I just want one of the shoebox size coffins. <laughs> I love those. You just need somebody that knows how to do a little bit of woodworking to build you one. Well, I would know. I know how to do it. I just don't have the tools or the space to do it. That's. Aw, you need to find somebody who has the space and then get the tools from them and do it. See, that's the problem about living in New York City. I yeah. have to compromise on space. I'm a little scared that you know how to build shoebox sized coffins. What are you burying in those, Vanessa? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that as an answer for now because if I probe too deeply, you're going to scare me even more than you already do. It's all that hysteria I have going on. <laughs> oh, God. And here's the point where if you're playing the drinking game of every time you hear hysteria, you are drunk enough that you won't notice that the person that drank every time you heard Lance 
is dead now. <laughs> I'm drinking. But I'm not much. dead. I've been drinking that much. <laughs> uh, there's probably a couple drinking games for this movie, but the Lance and the uh, Hysteria would probably be the the leaders. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. You. That, <laughs> I used to play one in college that was. Uh, we would watch George Romero zombie movies, and every time a zombie was on screen, and for every zombie that was on screen, you took a drink. Oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I regret some of the alcohol poisoning that caused some of my friends. <laughs> yeah, you Pennsylvania mountain people party hard. <laughs> yeah, we kind of do. <laughs> and we'll get to that part too. Cause I already know what you're talking about there, but I'll let you take okay. the lead on that one for sure. Cause I know what you're talking about there. Uh, no, I, I, you can take the lead. This is your show, sir. <laughs> yeah, but you, you said it first. So you, you claim it. <laughs> Plus, you know, I hate being the know-it-all, even though I know it all. <laughs> Except the fact that Legend of Hell House wasn't based on the haunting of Hell oh, House. Oh, wicked burn! <laughs> ah. Oh! Ah. Guys, I gotta, I gotta pause the recording for a moment and go get some aloe. Ow! Oh, it's right to the bone. Right to the bone, that burn. You know I choose because I love. I, I earned that. I totally earned that. It's, it's cool. I, I, I mean, it's okay. You'll have your chance to mansplain everything to me in a minute. The owner is a drunken leprechaun. And that's not Turkey, that's the maid. She gets around on rollerblades. And you should see her try to mow the lawn. Well, Vincent Price knows all of his sins. Grab a gun and let's begin. But keep away from the hero, he's a perv. And if you make it through the night without dying of boredom or a fright, a complimentary continental breakfast will be served. Serve it up, boys. Oh, that's nice. Look out for Ponzi English liars. Don't trip over skeletons hung on wires and bring your hanging harness if you will. So goes the song of the movie of the legend of the saga of the fable of the unabridged edition of the story of the people at the party at the house on Haunted Hill. That's the people at the party at the house on Haunted Hill. Who's going to the after party? I would find that to be much less pleasing than given a vibrator. <laughs>